In the 80s, there was a television show starring a man named Fred Penner. Anybody recognize that name? And he had a little bit of a helper called a word bird. And this word bird, now this is vintage, so all the teenagers are like, what is a word bird? It's when somebody drops a word in their bird. That's what a word bird is. And this word bird would drop a word into Fred's lap, and all of a sudden he'd tell his audience, this is the word of the day. Our word of the day is celebrate. Our word of the day is celebrate. As we conclude this series called Faith Foundations, we've been learning, like I've said already, about what it means to follow Jesus, to live and love like him. It means telling. Telling and hearing the story of Jesus, having it shape us in a moment-by-moment, daily basis, refreshing our mind, restoring our heart, helping us become who God's created us to be. Then, Then it moves into doing. There's lots of variations of doing in our world, but we talked about kingdom doing. What does it mean to be Christ-centered and focused in our expression of activity? And then we talked about being, how we are created as relational individuals, and we reflect the character and the nature of God, and because of that, we are forged and formed for connection and for relationship. Today is celebrate, word bird style, the word celebrate. Think of culturally all of the things in our society that we celebrate. When one comes to mind, yell it out, yell it out at me. What do we celebrate as a culture or a society or individually? Birthdays. Okay, what else? Christmas. Thanksgiving. Holidays. Anniversaries. Graduations. Easter. Marriage. The birth of a child. Right? Retirement. Who celebrates retirement? Wow. When I was growing up, they talked about retirement like Freedom 55. For me, it's going to be Freedom 75, okay? And I'm okay with that. I love what I do, and I'm glad to be your pastor. I've got a great team that works with me, and it makes my job mostly life-giving. Mostly. Celebrate. I want you to keep that, mind, that word in your mind throughout the duration of our time together. Several months ago, Pastor Jamie was preaching a sermon, and he used this phrase, we celebrate what we advocate. Anybody remember that? We celebrate what we advocate, and that is so true. If we believe in something, if we are invested in it, if we've got an affinity or connection, we take the time to celebrate it. It becomes a part of our core. Birthdays, we celebrate them because they're important to us. Anniversaries, because they're important to us. Retirement, because we want to taste freedom. We celebrate all of these things. That affinity and that natural tendency and that push towards celebration is a God-given gift. We didn't create it as human beings. God created celebration All you got to do is read the first few lines in the book of Genesis and what you're going to discover is as God is meticulously creating one thing after another, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he looks at human beings and he's like, ooh, it is very good. He's celebrating and celebrating and celebrating. 25 years ago, I read this verse from the book of Zephaniah that has shattered me in so many different ways. And that is the verse that's going to be the catalyst for our understanding and expression of celebration 
and understanding that word a little bit more. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. If you're going, I didn't even know that's in the Bible, open up your mobile device, go to Version, go to the Sea Road Live section on the events page, and you can follow along right there, and you won't have to worry about thumbing to that scripture and not knowing where it is. It's a part of the Old Testament, and if you have my Bible, it's on page 717. Hopefully that's helpful. Verse 17 reads like this. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. That is celebration. For the next few moments, I want to unpack the five phrases and statements in this one verse that are so epic in nature. Like I said, this shattered me 25 years ago, and I'm still being shattered and inspired and motivated by these phrases. Let's look at the first one. For the Lord your God is living among you. Here's what sets Christianity apart from any other spiritual movement or religion on the planet Ones that we know of, ones that are yet to be. God is living among us. We believe in a risen, living God. Not a God that is absent. Not a God that is schizophrenic. Not a God that is distant. A God that is up close and near and personal. And if you read the, the truth and the story of Scripture, what you're going to uncover and, and, and find out for yourself is God personified, is, is epitomized in this individual called Jesus. Jesus, who walks the earth, who lives a blameless, perfect life, who knows what it means to be alone and afraid, who knows what it means to be betrayed and abused, who knows what it means to be lost, who knows what it means to be frustrated and angry, who knows what it means to not have money, who knows what it means to be misunderstood. And through all of those human emotions, finds a way to be faithful, to celebrate, and to ultimately give his life up so that more could live. Now, this seems like a really basic thought. Some of you are like, I've been in church since the time Jesus was alive, and so I know this. I know that he's among us, but do we really? Because if we did, when we bump up into that hurdle that's coming this week or the one that hit us last week, and we got all shattered and confused and frustrated and unnerved and bitter. And we've, we've lived in the thought that we've allowed to take room in our mind that's like, oh, God must not care about me now because he's letting me walk through this. Those thoughts would be fleeting moments in our lives. Bonnie and I had a great conversation last night. We were talking about today, and I said, I'm really tired I had softball and hockey yesterday. I can't believe I'm walking. <laughs> I said, Bon, could you just preach for me? And she's like, heck no. <laughs> but she said something to me. We had this conversation. She said, what if, what if every thought that we have is an opportunity to offer it, in God, offer it to God in celebration? What if every thought that we have, good, bad, ugly, or anything in between, is an opportunity for us to offer it to God in celebration because he is here with us. Because when we do that, 
We can right-size our perspective, have a clear head, clear mindset. When we don't, we give room for our enemy to feast. When we get confused and when we're like, man, I don't think God is with me in this moment, guess what? That's when all the hurdles come. All the lies start coming full tilt at us. It's like being in a snowball fight with somebody that has a pitching machine and they're just rifling them at you. They're firing them one at a time over and over and over and over and over and over and over because we forget that God is with us. He lives among us. There's nothing that we are going through, we will go through, or we have gone through that he himself has not experienced. He will not abandon us or forsake us. He will not mistreat us. He will restore. He will renew. And because of that, it's worth celebrating. And so that might be a foundational or a quote-unquote basic idea, but that basic idea is revolutionary. It'll change your heart, it'll change your mind, it'll change your trajectory when you understand that God is living among us through everything, through grief, through celebration, and everything in between. God is living among us. Because of that, we can celebrate. Second phrase, he is a mighty savior. He is a mighty savior. We look up to so many different people in our culture and in our world today whether it's athletic stars, whether it's great thinkers, whether it's people in industry that have achieved some sort of success, we marvel at them, we, we, we celebrate them, whether it's church leaders that we elevate to positions of honor. And then over time, these people disappoint us because they can't save us. They're imperfect creatures, imperfect beings what happens is we allow our hearts and our minds to drift over time and we start honoring and worshiping things and people that just aren't able to save us. Whether that's our own ability or something else in our sphere and in our reality. There is only one name that is mighty to save. And that's the name of Jesus. Jesus says it like this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All throughout Scripture, we read different portions where, where it reminds us that anybody and everybody that calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Not necessarily saved from the circumstances or the situation that we find ourselves in. Because sometimes that isn't love. To scoop you up from the natural consequences of your decisions and, and, and spare you from them, that's not love. That's manipulation that is anything but love. And so we get confused because we, we sometimes we cry out for help and we're like, man, I'm in a real heaping mess right now and it's kind of smelly and I don't know what to do. Jesus, would you save me? And guess what? He's already there living through it with you and he's willing to save you, but that saving looks a little bit different than maybe you anticipate. Maybe in that financial crisis, he's not going to show up with $165,000 to pay off the debt that you owe. 
Instead, he's going to link you up with an individual who's really fiscally responsible and can help you game plan how to get out of debt over time as you discipline yourself to be a good steward of what God has given you. God is mighty to save, and that saving is all about your spiritual well-being, both here and now and in the life that is to come after our human adventure is over. That's the saving that God promises and that God offers. He's living among us. He is mighty to save. You are never too far from God. You are never too broken that God cannot heal. You are never far from his mind or his heart. He is relentlessly and intentionally pursuing you and me. And that's crazy. That's crazy when you think about it, because when somebody does not want to spend time with me, I sure as heck don't make time for them in my calendar. If somebody has been mean or bitter or frustrating in my social circles, why would I invest with them? Have you ever had this kind of a a conversation before? Where somebody calls you up and is like, hey, do you want to go to the movies? And you're like, yeah, sure, I could go see a movie. This sounds good. That's fine. Good, because nobody else I've called has been willing to come with me yet. And you're like, wow, I'm like bottom of the barrel here. (laughs) I called everybody else. Hey, I I don't know how I have your phone number, but I do. Do you want to hang? Right? Even when we've put Jesus at the bottom of our barrel, He is still willing, and that's mind-boggling to me. He's living among us, and he's mighty to save. Third thing, he will take delight in you with gladness. He will take delight in you with gladness. I want you to go home, look at yourself in the mirror, and say, God takes delight in me with gladness. Even if you've got that winter insulation forming, okay? God takes delight in you with gladness. And this is really hard because some of us do not enjoy ourselves. We don't appreciate the gift of life that God has given us. We live in this land of comparison and we're like, but they have this and they have this and I wish that for myself. And instead of understanding that we are individually and uniquely fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, we look at ourselves and we see something that is always less than. We see what's wrong with it. We don't see what's right with it. When God looks at us, do you know what he does? He delights in you with gladness. My friend Scott was a single dad. He had these wonderful three crazy kids. And one time... He woke up a little bit later than normal. It was a sleeping day for him. And he heard all this boisterous, wonderful laughter coming from the main floor area. And so he hurried down the stairs and he found that two of his kids, who were about six and four at the time, had discovered a 10-pound bag of flour. (laughs) And they were creating stardust everywhere. He sent me photos of what this looked like. To my friend Scott's credit, he was able to call his parents calmly, get them to pick up the children before, you know, they disappeared. (laughs) 
and hang out with him while he went to the task of removing all the stardust from everywhere. Now, if you asked Scott in that moment, did you delight in your children with gladness? (laughs) The answer is no. And yet God is a God who, despite the chaos and the stardust we create in our own lives, can delight in us with gladness. See, what we do doesn't change the way God feels or thinks about us. What we do impacts our ability to understand how much God loves us. Some of us self-sabotage because we don't think we're worth it. We don't think anybody cares or notices. We don't think we have any intrinsic value. And some of that's because people have told us that all our lives. You're never going to amount to anything. If only you were like your older sibling or younger sibling or your cousin, why were you even born? You were an accident. You were a mistake. Those are sobering lies that have been told to some of us. And yet God tells us something entirely different. Because he will take delight in you with gladness. And despite the circumstances in which you were created, God sees value in you. And he celebrates you with delight and gladness. Fourth one, with his love, he will calm all your fears. I know what it means to be afraid. When I was nine years old, my uncles wanted me to watch Unsolved Mysteries with them. A great Canadian program on all this crazy stuff, conspiracy theories. And this one was about Sasquatch. Sasquatch is real. And as a young nine-year-old, I was petrified that if I went to the washroom, that's when Sasquatch would get me. In my most vulnerable state, that's when he would get me. I literally had to turn on all the lights in the household so that Sasquatch couldn't jump out at me. You couldn't rationalize with me as a young individual what was going on in my mind, what was going on in my heart, what was going on in the moment. And it's because of the love of my parents and my other uncles who aren't as mean as the ones that made me watch that program that over time those fears were overcome. See, if we're honest, a lot of us live in fear. Fear that we're going to be found out that we're a fraud. Fear that if people really know what we thought about them, them, they'll leave us and not want to hang out with us and not want to be our friends. Fear. Fear of being replaced. Fear of being mistreated. Fear of being lost. Fear of being alone. Those are just some of the fears that can radiate through our hearts and through our minds. What we're reminded here in Zephaniah 3.17 is that the love of Christ, the love of God, can calm all of those fears. Every single one. I love being a dad. One of the challenging parts about being a dad is many of our kids had colic growing up. What that means is they scream for no reason. 
I'll take teenager attitude any day over colic. Our daughter, Sadie, in particular, she's going to love me for this one. Sadie, I love you. (laughs) Struggled with colic. It's because we didn't know that she had food allergies that came over time that we discovered that. And so she would just scream. And there was nothing that I could do to get her to stop screaming unless I would swing her like this. That's because she was holding her breath so she couldn't scream. Look, Bonnie, I did it. She's not breathing. But her mom could get her to calm down. Loving and gently, ever so softly. And all of a sudden, all of the irritants would fade away. And peace would be in the house for several minutes. When you feel afraid, the worst thing that you can do is run away from God. The fear is just going to grow stronger, more potent, more destructive. When you feel afraid, the best thing that you can do is reach your arms up and say, Daddy, I need some help. I need your love to calm my fears, my anxiety, my frustration, my depression. And yeah, you know what? Mental health is real. It's a legit thing. This isn't saying that whatever diagnosis you're walking through with a medical health professional will be miraculously cured. Can God do that? He sure can. Does he do it all the time? No. Why? That's a great question. Sometimes healing is incremental. Sometimes healing is instantaneous. But what I can tell you is that with his love, he will calm all your fears. That might take days and months. That might take years. That might take moments. But if he said it, it's a promise that we can stand on it. We can believe it. We can rest assured that he follows through on everything that he says. Some of us here need to be reminded that our fears, our fears are subject to the love of God. Lastly, he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. My least favorite song in all of songdom, if that's a word, is Happy Birthday. I hate that song. It's boring. We sing it a bunch of times a year. It's like, happy birthday to you. Like, there's nothing to it. I go through the motions when I sing this song. Why does God choose to rejoice over us? With joyful songs. I don't know if you understand the why until you witness somebody who's become a parent for a first time after waiting for a long time. And they celebrate every little thing that little one does. I don't think we fully understand if somebody, unless we we know what it means to step into our dream job. Or we know what it means when the, the, the person that we wanted to spend our life with said yes. Or we know what it means when we see a triumph or a miracle happen in our own lives, when we embrace sobriety and recovery for the very first time, and we're no longer shackled and chained by that which previously sought to kill, steal, and destroy us. I don't know if we understand the full value and the weight of this. Of all the things that God could choose to do 
to rejoice over us, he chooses joyful songs. God's voice is both powerful and protective. And I can't help but think that maybe there's something to do with that and why he chooses to sing. Not a hesitancy, not a reluctance, but a conscious choice to sing and to invest. And maybe he's a great singer, I don't know. He is perfect. But it makes me think about us and how we choose to celebrate. Of all the things that churches can fight about, music is kind of like the top of the list. It's crazy. It's not our flavor. It's not our style. It's too loud. It's too soft. It's too fast. It's too soon. It's too confusing. It's too, too. Whatever that means. And yet in all of this stuff, we lose sight on the, on the reason and the purpose for a worship through song. If God delights in us and rejoices in us with joyful songs, why wouldn't we reflect exactly what God does? We're built to celebrate just like him. So why wouldn't we engage in that activity? And maybe you're like, I don't like the sound of my voice. I don't like the sound of my voice. And sometimes I don't like the look of my face. I was once told I had the face for radio. I don't know what that means. I think it's a compliment. Here's my question back to you. So what? So what? You don't know the words. You don't know the lyrics. You don't know the song. You don't know the rhythm. You don't know whatever. Guess what? It ain't about you. God rejoices over us with joyful songs because he's captivated by us. Are we captivated by God? Are we completely, utterly shattered by him? Are we inspired? Are we motivated? Are we consumed? Because when we are, all those other things don't matter. It doesn't matter that we didn't know that song. It doesn't matter that it's at that volume or speed or whatever. We're focused on him. What does celebration look like? It looks like a God who's living with us, who's mighty to save, who takes delight in us with gladness, who with his love calms all our fears and rejoices over us with joyful song. The role that we get to play in loving and living like Jesus involves celebration. Man, we should, we should be throwing the best parties ever, celebrating all the micro-millimeter moment, moments and movements forward that people have in their walk towards Christ. When we find out of somebody who struggled with addiction, who is making strides to overcome that, we should celebrate. When we find out of a, a frayed marriage that's been fractured and now being restored, we should celebrate. When we discover that somebody has given their life to follow Jesus, we should celebrate. When we gather together, on a Sunday, on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, whatever day of the week, with however many people, we should celebrate the goodness of God. Because it's because of that goodness, it's because of that character that we have a reason to celebrate. When I dream of 
the church that God is inviting us to become. And when I mean the church, the church is people. The church is me. The church is you. It's not an institution. It's not a, a faction that we're creating. It's people. When I dream of the people that God is asking us to become, it's a people that learn to love and live like him. And what that's going to mean is that we are radically and ruthlessly intentional about creating community. It means we're focused on generosity. It means we're also focused and we intentionally pursue multiplication. What does multiplication mean, Jason? Well, basic math is 1 plus 1 equals 2. 2 times 1 equals 2. 2 times 2 equals 4. It means recreating ourselves and step with Jesus along the way. Partnering with what he wants to do in our region, in us internally, around the world. We can't do it all, but we can do some things that he invites us into. And when we were dreaming about, oh, wow, what could our church look like for the next hundred years? We talked about multiplying. Being intentional and creating different pockets, different opportunities right here in our own backyard. We called it our Acts 1-8 strategy. In Acts 1-8, Jesus invites his closest friends to be witnesses for him right in the region that they're placed, they're Jerusalem, right in the surrounding area, they're Judea and Samaria, and then he says, and even to the ends of the earth. And we talked about that, and we started the process just over a year ago with our expression of that through the Outpost Cafe, in addition to some of the ministry efforts and, and, and pieces that we've already put into place by discipling, investing ourselves in somebody else so that they can then invest themselves in somebody else in the way that Jesus lived his life, helping them to become more like him every step of the way, just by being present, studying the word together, praying for one another. That's simple strategy. And we're at the threshold of another opportunity. So I'm going to invite uh, Dan and Susie Noel to join me here on stage. They're new to you, so I want to invite you to welcome them with enthusiasm. If you don't know this about me, I like to do little surprises along the way. And so some of you get frustrated with that. You're like, I want to know everything. Come on, it makes the surprise that much less surprising. We started talking today about celebration. We talked about missionaries locally, nationally, internationally. Give you a glimpse on some of the things that we've been a part of. Um, I'm going to need somebody to run me a handheld mic here so that they can talk. Perfect. Jamie's running. His team, his hockey team faces my hockey team tonight, so you can pray for us. And so uh, this missions moment that we, we talked about, we wanted to talk about God's activity, again, that we've been able to play a part of. And it just so happens that this family is going to be diving into another expression of what that looks like here in our region, in the area of Smith Falls. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and then I'm going to ask them a few more questions so we can all get the scoop firsthand. I see Road Church. I'm Dan Noel. I am Susie. I'm Ian. I'm Scott. Well done. Okay, we're done. 
So uh, this family lives in Toledo, but they have got a huge heart for Smith Falls. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, Smith Falls is a community that uh, historically has some ups and some lows. And uh, as we look out into the town of Smith Falls, we see a town that is desperate for the hope and love of Jesus Christ. Amen. So what's really cool is I got to know uh, Dan and Susie a couple months ago. And they shared a story with me about five years ago. Uh, God gave them a dream to start a ministry and a mission in Smith Falls around coffee. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a cafe. Kind of, yeah. And then this whole thing called COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And that turned the apple cart upside down. And you didn't know which way to go. But now as we emerge from that, God has kind of renewed and refreshed that same idea in you. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, my wife and I are involved in youth ministry at our home church in uh, Smith Falls. And coming through COVID, we, uh, we saw that um, students from the community weren't wanting to come into a church building. And uh, we wanted to get this uh, community youth group going. And so we actually knew Johanna from quite a few years ago. So I reached out to her thinking that she might be able to help in this endeavor. And then she said, well, actually, I'm on staff with Centennial Road Church with a cafe. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, wow, we had this vision. Well, actually, my wife had this vision five years ago. And so I I went down to Susie. I'm like, Susie, you'll never guess what they're doing. Centennial Road Church is doing what God gave our vision, and it was beautiful. So we, we talked to Jason, we talked to uh, Johanna, and, and here we are. Yeah. Here we are. All right, so on screen you're going to see um, kind of what we're talking about here. Um, the Lighthouse Cafe. Woo! Now the Lighthouse Cafe is going to be a ministry expression that the Noel family leads and guides in Smith Falls. The Noel family, they're going to be a part of our missionaries that we support as a community. People that we invest in relationally, people that we pray for intentionally, people that we care and release. It's going to be different than the Outpost Cafe. And some of you are like, what is the Outpost Cafe? Go see it in Prescott and you'll be able to understand what it looks like and what we talk about and what we refer to it and all that this will be different because Smith Falls is a slightly further away from Brockville than uh, Prescott is. And so from a, from a support perspective, maybe, maybe it's going to be impossible for us to volunteer in that space. But what we can do is we can pray. We can pray. We can support just like we pray and we f- support people that are doing ministry in Albania, Nicaragua, Ghana, Thailand. It might be in our own backyard. We might be even able to like visit Smith Falls more, more easily than we can some of those other spaces that we're invested and we're, we're, we're shepherding and caring for other missionaries. But this family is going to need our support. So as a church, what I'm going to ask you to do is commit to praying with me and for them. With me and for them. Sea Road is going to have the privilege of being like a, a fiscal agent. And what that means is just, just a place that helps them get off their feet, get going in this ministry initiative, and allow them to do the charitable work in this region that God is calling them to. 
doesn't mean we're going to give them thousands and thousands of dollars or anything like that. Sorry. (laughs) But you never know. But as God leads and as God moves, we're going to be able to partner with other people just like the Noels to love and live like Jesus right where he's placed us. I cannot reiterate enough how much this is a God-initiated idea. You know me. I do not like coffee at all. Neither does Susie. So to be led to do some sort of ministry and mission focus around something that we despise, is that the right word? Yeah. It smells. It smells. It's because God is leading. Friends, this is what it means for each one of us on an individual basis and when we gather together as a community to move into loving and living like Jesus, being radically obedient, doing things that maybe are outside of what we thought might be possible, leaving a business to start a mission so that we can love people. Here's how we're going to close our service. I'm going to have the Noel family come down right here to the front area. I'm going to invite our sea rotors in two ways to respond through prayer. Maybe you have a sense and an affinity towards mission of some kind. Maybe God has called you to just be radically intentional in the way that you love people in your workplace, your neighborhood. Maybe you're doing that right now, or maybe God's asking you to engage in another level. This group of people represents that, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, if that's you, to come forward and surround this family in prayer. Okay? Just come up right where you are. Don't be afraid. Or be slightly afraid because this is the spit zone. <laughs> right where you are. Because the Noel family represents one aspect of mission. Not all, but one. And as a church family, we want to commission them to dive into this with radical intentionality. The other way, man, God has been putting on my heart for probably weeks now, the mission of marriage. Imagine for a moment if there were a whole bunch of fruitful, Jesus-centered marriages in our region that stood for Reconciliation, restoration, hopefulness, and all of those things. I think God is inviting us as a church family into also the realm of mission through marriage. It doesn't mean we're going to be assigning people to be married. Don't panic or anything like that, okay? (laughs) But creating a layer of intentional prayer focus around marriages. If your spouse is here with you and you want your marriage to be prayed over, I want you to stand up right where you are, grab your spouse's hand, hold on to it tightly, not too tightly, and we're going to pray for your marriage. Now, praying for your marriage doesn't mean there's something wrong with your marriage. Maybe you're in a great space. Bonnie, are you there? Oh, you're right there. But it means that something is uh, right with your marriage. And we want to grow 
and reflecting what it means to love Jesus through our marriages. And if you're not married, you can still pray for marriages and healthy relationships. And that's an okay thing too. So we're going to be praying for mission. We're going to be praying for marriages. For those of you who aren't joining us here at the front, that is okay. I would invite you to stand with us as we pray specifically for those two things. Father, we are ever so grateful that you delight in us with your love. That you look at us, you get excited, you're thankful, you're grateful, you radiate joy. I pray, Lord, that that would be the calling card of who we are moving forward. Father, I want to pray specifically for the Noel family today. They're diving into this great adventure, and it's going to have lots of moments of great triumph and lots of moments of frustration. Because whenever we press into what you have in mind for us, we stand up against what the enemy does not want to have happen. So, Father, I pray specifically for Dan and Susie and their marriage. I pray for the rest of the marriages here at Sea Road as well, that they would be lighthouses, beacons of hope that remind people of how good you are, that maybe even expose people to your goodness and your love for the very first time. Pray for Scott and Ian and their willingness to stand alongside their mom and dad, their youthful enthusiasm, and maybe even youthful reluctance. God, they are really cool parts of this story that you are writing as well. So, Father, we ask that you would do immeasurably more than what we could ask or imagine. And that the Lighthouse Cafe would be an oasis and a place of hope that people would be able to encounter you in a deep and meaningful way. Jesus, we all have a role to play in that. And that role is through prayer and that role is through participation. And so, Father, as your mission for our community continues to unfold, would we be ever increasingly willing to be outrageously generous with our time, our talent, our treasure, so that many more who do not yet know you would encounter a loving God and have their lives transformed. May you bless and protect us. May you make your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. May you grant us your favor and your peace. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being a part of C-Row this morning. We love and appreciate you all. Why don't you go have some coffee, some great conversation. We'll see you next week for a brand new series. If you want to talk to the Noels,